Do you know that your act of worship or that you being on the receiving end of a divine miracle from God may very well make you a target? And I don't mean from those who are far outside away from you, but they might make you a target even from those in your close inner circle. We're going to talk about that and a little bit more in today's episode. Stay tuned. How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthen to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back to Life's Key 3. We have been walking through the book of the Gospel of John, and I must say it has taken a lot longer than I anticipated because John is an interesting writer. He packs so much into just very short words. He's not like Hemingway in the sense that he has this staccato kind of style. But he is similar to Hemingway's writing in that there's a lot packed into a short word count. And today we're just going to look at the first nine verses of this gospel. And it opens with the story of Jesus is back at dinner again with Mary and Martha and Lazarus in the village of Bethany. Now, we the last time that we saw him at Bethany, he was with Mary and Martha and with Lazarus, but this was when Lazarus had died, and Jesus shows up, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And if you haven't listened to the podcast episode that talks about why did Jesus bother weeping when he showed up, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. So why does he cry along with Mary and Martha and the other mourners that had come? So it's a, it's a powerful lesson for us as to why he did that, why why he wasn't wasting his life weeping, he was being fully present. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you definitely want to make sure that you go back and catch that one. So it's dinner time again, and they must have served some good food because we read a lot of times about Jesus and his disciples or they're having meals with Mary and Martha. And Mary has opened this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume And she has poured the entire contents out on Jesus' feet. And she is worshiping Jesus because she has poured this perfume on his feet. And she is using her hair in order to to dry his feet. And it says that the entire house was filled with the smell of this perfume. I don't know if you've bought any perfume lately, but if you go to buy good perfume here, I think it's expensive when it just, even when it's in double digits, Judas sees this perfume that Mary pours out and he is incensed, okay? No pun intended there. Okay, maybe a little bit of pun intended. Anyway, he is incredibly upset and he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the proceeds of this given to the poor? And he is pretty clued in to what things cost because he specifically says, Why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii? Now, a denarii was the equivalent of about a day's wages. So we are talking about almost a year's worth of wages here, probably a year's worth of wages by the time that you would have 
um, taken off for all of, of the Sabbaths. And she's just poured it on Jesus' feet. And Judas is so angry. So he knows. Now, I, I have never, nor do I ever see myself spending entire years worth of wages on a bottle of perfume. But that's exactly what Mary does. She is so grateful to have her brother back. But it's more than that. It's because she has recognized he is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. And we see that from what she has, has said before. Here's what we want to understand by this. Anytime that we are going to have an act of worship, we are going to pour ourselves all out in an act of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving to God and to Jesus. We can expect there to be a critic, and it's very likely that critic may come from within our close community. It's easy for us because we know the full end of the story to say, okay, well, that was Judas. Of, of course, Judas would say something like that. He was the one who came and betrayed Christ. But what we have to remember is at this moment in time, nobody knew that Judas was going to betray Jesus. He was seen as one of the 12 highly called, specially called out disciples of Christ. He was part of this special circle that even though there were lots and lots of other followers and disciples of Christ, it wasn't like Jesus only walked around with these 12 men that, that were his close followers and supporters. The, the group was a lot bigger than that. But these were 12 specially appointed men that Jesus had called. And, and as far as everybody knows, at this point in time, Judas is just as faithful as all the rest of them, as Peter, as James, as John, as Thomas, as Philip, as all of them. And we know that by what we can read um, a little bit ahead. And that was when it came time for the, the Last Supper. And Jesus says, hey, one of you, not somebody out there, but one of you are going to betray me. Nobody has a clue who he's talking about. And even when he kind of gives them a sign and points to, to Jesus, if they had been tracking along with, with what Jesus was saying, even then, and when Judas gets up to leave, they don't know he's going to go betray Jesus. They think that he is going off to maybe get supplies for the Passover or something like that. So at the time that Judas is so upset by this act of worship, he's one of the close-knit community that Mary and Martha and Lazarus would have looked at with deep respect. Anytime that you are going to pour out your heart, you are going to pour out your life, maybe in an extravagant way, in worship and gratitude and following Jesus, just be clued in. It's highly likely that you're going to get somebody who's going to criticize you and that person or that group of people may come from very close inside your community. Another thing that we see here is that um, when people had heard that Jesus was in Bethany, people come from Jerusalem and they come from the surrounding countryside. And they come not just to see Jesus, this miracle maker man, but they come to see Lazarus, this man that had been brought back from the dead. I mean, I think that would kind of hit the headlines. You know, a person raised from the dead, that was going to definitely make the rounds. And so there were certainly people who had been there to see that firsthand, but other people now want to be able to come and they want to see Jesus and they want to see Lazarus. 
Well, what happens is the the leaders, the religious leaders, who also wielded tremendous political power in, in the Jewish community and in the nation, they see all these people come, and they see them coming to believe in Jesus as a result of Lazarus' miracle. And so what do they do? They decide that in addition to plotting to assassinate Jesus, that they're going to add Lazarus now to their assassination list. I don't know if they had worked together to take out other rivals before, but we can definitely see that that is what's happening here. Here's something to understand from this as well. Anytime that you are on the receiving end of a miracle from God, anytime that you are on the receiving end of a divine um, act that where God supernaturally steps into your life in a certain way, Again, just be prepared. It's likely to make you a target. And there may be people, or in this case, we see an entire group of people. And interestingly, they weren't the Roman rulers. We, we never, ever read that Rome or any of the Roman authorities were threatened by Jesus. Isn't that astounding? The people who were threatened were the ones who were supposed to be drawing people to God. Now, this doesn't mean that the only threats that or criticism that, that we will receive will only come from uh, religious people, but it's a good clue that we can expect that when we are on the receiving end of God's supernatural divine work, blessing, provision, that we can become a target. We can have people who want to shut us up take us out, discredit us, and that can happen in a lot of ways. Now, certainly around the world, we see where that still happens physically, where people are martyred for their faith. It happens in other ways as well. It happens by destroying a person's reputation or at least just calling it into question, you know, spreading some gossip or making some, you know, statements that just raise questions in somebody else's mind about, well, how, how credible is that person? And there's a difference between honestly assessing someone who's in a, in a public position or a role of leadership, and there's a way to do that appropriately, but that's not what is driving the, the religious leaders here. They're just jealous. They are jealous of Jesus' power and his influence, and they want him out, and now they want to take Lazarus out as well which I think is a little funny in the sense that, I mean, what were they thinking? That Jesus could only raise Lazarus from the dead once? Was it a matter that, did they think through, you know, we have to make sure that we take Jesus out first because if we take Lazarus out first, Jesus might show back up and resurrect him a second time. I don't know if they actually had that conversation or not, but definitely, we still have that lesson to learn that being on the receiving end of a miracle is amazing, and it's wonderful, and it can definitely also make... Now, as we've been going through the book of John, one of the things that, that we've seen as we've been tracking through here is the progression of deception that is happening with the religious leaders and those who are opposed to Jesus. You see, what happens is that at first, they just basically kind of ignored Jesus early in his ministry. And then they start to try to refute him. 
And then they want to discredit him. And now they have reached the place where they are actively plotting an assassination. That's what this group is. They've turned into a terrorist organization. They are, they are actively plotting how to assassinate not only Jesus, but they are actively plotting now how to also assassinate Lazarus. You know, what was so clear, you know, as we read through this, it's so clear to us. So why wasn't it so clear to them? Well, this is a lesson for us, because if we want to look and say, well, that was just the Pharisees, that couldn't possibly be me. Maybe not at that same level, although it can happen to any of us, but the what's really going on here are people who are refusing to have their lives examined. They are refusing to live a truly examined life. And this is the outcome of deception. The person who is deceived and who willingly continues to ignore God's call to repentance, whether that comes directly through the Holy Spirit, whether that comes through teaching of the word, whether that comes through counsel of other people, then what happens is they are going to become more and more and more deceived. It's not like you just become deceived and then you just remain at this certain level. It will always continue to increase. Evil never remains stagnant. Goodness doesn't either. There is no such thing as neutral in this life. There is no such thing as evil hits a certain spot and then it goes, okay, I'm good now. I'm satisfied. Goodness also does not hit a certain level and then say, okay, I'm good now. I'm satisfied. Both of these, both goodness and and evil have insatiable appetites, if you will. Goodness has an insatiable appetite because it's always seeking to bless, to love, to grow, to multiply, to rescue, to save, to redeem, to, to bring abundance. Evil also has an insatiable appetite, and it seeks to constantly and continually and increasingly enslave, diminish, destroy, cut down. And, and so this is what we see that tracks through with these religious leaders. You know, Proverbs 27, 20 tells us, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Sheol represents a place of death. Death is never satisfied. Abaddon represents a place of destruction. These both represent places of evil, and so places of destruction and darkness, and they're never satisfied. They always want more and more and more. And when it talks about that, you know, the eyes of man are never satisfied. How many of you have ever thought, I mean, I definitely know I've had this experience. When I get to this place, when I achieve X, when I have this many dollars, or I have, I have this child, or I'm married, or, or I, I have this um, level that I reach in my career, or whatever it is, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be satisfied. Then I'm going to feel full. And you get to that point, and then you realize, Mm, no, that, that doesn't, didn't have the outcome that I thought it would be. Well, part of the reason that we have that, there's a lot of factors why we have that, but one of those is because the very nature of life is to always be moving towards something. And, and with goodness, it's always trying to move us closer to God, closer to being who we fully have been designed to be in him. Evil is always trying to pull in the other direction. And this is one of the reasons why it's imperative for us to 
to be courageously humble enough to live that examined life. An examined life does not just rely on our own self-examination. We look at the religious leaders here, and what we see with the religious leaders is they relied on looking at themselves and looking at the people in their own circle. And so we want to be careful of that as well, that we don't just rely on people who are going to be the yes people in our lives who are just going to tell us what we want to hear and are, and are, and are on the same track as we're on. We, we want to have voices in our lives who will poke around and prod and, and be able to be able to, to know, okay, what's really going on in our lives? And that doesn't mean we open ourselves up to everybody, but we should have people in our lives. And when they poke and prod and they really challenge us, that we're not, we don't just dismiss them because they don't come to the same con- con- conclusions that we want them to come to. You know, one of the practices that I've heard Annie F. Downs talk about in her life is that no one person knows everything. In other words, she doesn't dump and, and expect somebody else to carry every single bit of information um, about her life, but somebody in her inner circle between them knows everything. Now, what she's not doing there, she's not compartmentalizing her life so that this person over here doesn't really know this over here. What she's doing is she's being respectful to not have that weight put on any one person, but she's making sure that if all those people sat down together and did talk about what they know about her, that they're going to come up with an accurate picture of her, and there's not going to be anything in her life that she's going to go, oh, oops, I really didn't want you to know that about me. Important also that we track everything to its logical conclusion when we have things in our lives. And when we look at what is right and wrong, whether it's in our lives individually or whether it's in the culture and society at large, you see, there's a lot of things that look good early on. They look good when they're in, say, low light. They look good from a distance, when they're abstract, when they have very little immediate impact. It's kind of like, you know, there are certain types of lighting that I can put my makeup on and it can look great. And then I get under other kind of lighting and I feel like, you know what, I look like I should be in a casket. This is just terrible lighting. The makeup hasn't changed, but the lighting has changed how things look. And there are a lot of ideas like that. When we put them in certain kinds of light, oh, they look great. But when when we expose them to a more intense light or to a different type of light spectrum, all of a sudden things show up and we're like, oh, that doesn't look so good anymore. You know, socialism is a great concept. I mean, if you just look at it on the face of it, it sounds wonderful. It doesn't work in real life, however, because if you follow it to its logical end and its conclusion, it doesn't factor in the way that human nature really functions. And we see that whether it's been in the, um, the former USSR or we even have had different communes and, and uh, communities here in the United States that have practiced socialism in different ways. And what we see is every single time it's happened, it's, it's failed. One of the reasons that we talk about what is right and wrong isn't just to be these judgmental people. It is because something isn't just measured by its goodness or its badness by its immediate effect. It's also because of where it will lead. 
You know, I doubt when Jesus performed the turning of the water into wine at a wedding, that if you had said to the religious leaders at that time, hey, you know what? One day you're going to be plotting an assassination against this man. They would have laughed you off. They would have said, are you kidding? Okay, so he turned water into wine. Big deal. Woohoo. Okay, good for them, you know, and all their, their wedding guests. They would have just laughed that off. But it was because of how they responded to things early on that eventually led them to where they became. So as we recap for today, I want you to just remember these things. Number one, your worship, your act of worship, you're pouring your heart out to God. You're doing something that may look to others to be extravagant that might look to be extreme, that might look to be like like nuts, very well can make you a target of criticism, especially from those who are, are close to you. And number two, your miracle, God's showing up in your life in a, in a divinely sovereign way, might make you a target of outrage and criticism from those who are opposed to the status quo and Jesus' presence actually making a very real difference in your life. Don't expect everybody to cheer when you receive a divine intervention from God or even to understand it. And number three, goodness and evil are both insatiable. They have unending appetites. And that's one reason why we have to choose a life of intentionality and close relationships with people who really know us and are invited to speak into our lives. It doesn't do any good to say, yeah, I have these people that are close to me. If we never are actually intentionally saying, I want you to speak into my life, I'm going to share with you and I'm going to share honestly, I'm going to share vulnerably. I'm not going to hide things or minimize them or cover them up. Because we have to understand that any time that we carry those seeds within us, small as they may be, of disobedience, of dishonesty, they will grow. They will grow and mushroom into something more than we might ever even imagine. And those things can take us to places where we can't even conceive that they could take us to at some point in the future. It all comes back to, you know, um, everything that I teach, I think, is summarized in, in these three keys that I believe are absolutely necessary for a life of lasting meaning. It's to learn yourself. You have to learn yourself and be willing to be honest with yourself. It is to love God. It's not just to know about him, but it is to love him. And three, it is to live connected. We have to have those relationships. And all three of those are very intertwined. All right, my friend, well, we're going to wrap up here today. And I want to invite you to subscribe. I want you to do three things. And they're very quick. They don't take very long. One is to subscribe. That way you just make sure that you never miss an episode. Number two, leave a review. A review is not a book report. Okay. It's not a blog post. It's not an article. You don't have to write 385 words. Even if it's something as simple as hey, you know what, this podcast helps me apply biblical truths in my life in real ways. Maybe it's saying, you know what, this podcast helps me to look at some Bible passages in some, some fresh ways. Uh, what, whatever it is, I invite you to leave a review. That helps the algorithms um, 
be able to promote this podcast. And it also really helps me to know what you, the listener, are finding helpful and beneficial. And because I really want to be able to serve my audience well. And the number three is to share. Just send a quick text, a link, an email, a direct message to a friend, or maybe you post this on your own social media account and say, hey, here's something I'm finding encouraging and interesting. And I thought you might like to check it out too. So thanks for doing that. I appreciate you listening. I hope that this has been of value to you because you do have, my friend, an impact that truly is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. See you next time. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.